This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. Since day dot, humans have invented, inadvertently stumbled across, or tried to discover passions and stuff they're good at by having a go at hobbies. We might use them for pleasure, health, fitness, to combat loneliness, or to distract us from reality, all in the hope we can find meaning in our lives. Hobbies can be bizarre, addictive, psychologically revealing, and sometimes even beyond ridiculous. But, whatever your hobby, chances are, it's at the very least, a little bit shit. So listen in and prepare for your hobby to be exposed. I'm Sean Woodland, host of Your Hobby Is Shit. Well, welcome people, you wouldn't believe it, but as uh, Your Hobby Is Shit comes towards the end, we're back in the podcast charts. Incredible. I received an email on Monday evening and I'm pleased to say that Your Hobby Is Shit was at that moment ranked number 228 in Australian comedy podcasts. That makes me feel significantly better than ScoMo, Pauline Hanson, Tim Wilson and some of the other complete and utter pieces of human shit who lost their seats in the election last weekend. And thank fuck that's all over. Aside of me personally enjoying a few nasty and soulless cretins deservedly losing their jobs... The only other good bit was a significant number of independents getting seats, which I think makes for a more robust democracy. Partisan politics is embarrassing. The grand final gets played every three years between the same two teams, making it boring, uninspiring and prone to corruption. I'm of the belief that we we should give Albo a chance. I've given all the PMs a chance except Tony Abbott, who I knew was never going to be anything but a total disaster. Uh, giving him the keys to the lodge was a move akin to giving Ted Bundy the keys to a sorority house. I even gave ScoMo a chance after Turnbull, but it became increasingly apparent that the poor bastard was nothing short of a try-hard happy clapper who'd be more suited to selling used cars and running a country. I'm not even sure he'd written a victory speech the other night. Uh, my neighbour got home yesterday and said he didn't like Albo, and I asked why, and he said, did you see him walking his dog? Uh, it was one of those little poodle things with a scarf on. And, well, you can't say I didn't give Albo a chance. I did give him 36 hours, but after I saw this business with the dog and now it's got its own fucking Twitter account. Call me shallow, but Bill Shorten lost me as well when I saw him jogging just before the last election. If you haven't seen Bill Shorten jogging, look it up. And uh, after my neighbour pointed out the poodle cross business, Jesus Christ... But despite the Poodle Cross, I mean, if we judged everyone who owns a Poodle Cross with the harshness they deserve to be judged with, most of us wouldn't have any friends left, would we? So we'll give Albo a chance. Uh, The current popular narrative is that he's the first Prime Minister with no Anglo blood and he's a kid from public housing who was raised by a single mum. They want us to believe that anyone can become Prime Minister. It's a bit like the American dream where they peddle the myth. That anyone can make it and 350 million people spend their entire lives thinking they'll get rich and famous and fuck all of them ever do and then they get angry when they don't and elect a lunatic like Donald Trump. We love the idea of a fair go on equality 
Yeah, we love the idea of it, but does it exist? I bet we never see another Prime Minister that comes from a background like Albo. I'll bet all of the money I don't have that the next five Prime Ministers all come from private schools and privileged backgrounds. How many CEOs come from public housing and were raised by single mums? I'll tell you how many. Three-fifths of fuck all. Anyways, for the next couple of years, apart from the extreme left at The Guardian and the extreme right at Sky News, most of us can get back to not being overly bothered with politics. One last thing, it's got me fucked how Barnaby Joyce and Peter Dutton can be representative of Australians. Like, I get that madman Bob Catter. I've been to Mount Isa. He's fairly normal for up that way. And I know they're out there, but how could you ever meet someone like that beer-nosed Joyce or that fifth-generation prison screw potato head Dutton and think, yeah, they're the sort of blokes who should be leading our country? I wouldn't even drink a beer with those pricks. All right, over a week ago now, an Australian kid who definitely didn't come from public housing housing, and definitely wasn't raised by a single mum became the youngest Australian to climb Mount Everest. Gabby Canazay, upon completing the ascent, said, It was the most amazing feeling being born into a life of wealth and privilege and therefore being able to pay poor little Sherpas to carry shit up a hill for me and to risk their lives so I can indulge my fantasy of climbing climbing the highest mountain in the world with my mum. No, she didn't say that. Because the truth hurts. And when you're rich, you don't need to be self-aware. Plus, in her defence, she's a kid. What she did say was that it was amazing to know that you're literally on top of the world. Good on you, Gabby. Well, I've been higher on a plane, and I didn't find it that amazing, but good for you. Uh, Gabby, at 19, is a few months younger than the previous younger Australian to achieve the feat. Alyssa Azar did it in 2016. Interesting. No young blokes are into this business. Perhaps they're busy doing normal things like burnouts, rooting and drinking instead of trying to enter record books. Gabby's dad said his daughter had wanted to climb Everest since she was 14. In our home, we've got the famous photo of Edmund Hillary climbing Everest, he said. We talk about big goals in the family. Do you, mate? Good on ya. At our house, we talk about how fucked it is that I can get a pack of six meat pies from Coles for the same price as one fucking lettuce. These things don't happen to many people, he said. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, not only for Gabby, but for all of us to enjoy and be proud and to be part of, Jared Canazay said. That's the dad. He wept tears of joy when he spoke with his wife and daughter after they completed the remarkable feat. We all share in that success and we're all blessed that it happens, he said. Sounds like a bit of God bothering there. No mention of or appreciation for the Sherpas. Strange breed of those mountain climbers. I hope the record books state that Everest climbers all did it with help from poor people who don't really have any choice. The cynic in me thinks that Gabby may have peaked a little bit too soon. Shades of Nicky Webster. (laughs) You can probably tell that I'm sounding a bit the worse for wear, don't worry. There's no COVID. Not that you can get COVID from listening to a podcast. Well... Unless you're a conspiracy theorist, I suppose. But I'm, uh, I'm on the mend from having a bit of a cold. First one in several years, in fact. Usually the only illness I ever experience are self-inflicted ones. So it's with great appreciation whilst I recover that Dave from South Australia, who sent me a rather funny expose last week on how he and his mate Jono piss off cyclists, he's uh, sent me a detailed report on how they get under the skin of the local cops. It's titled... Part 2, 
irritating the filth. Me and Jono have perfected the method of locating the local filth. Turns out that the local pigs change shift at 4pm. So by 4.15pm we're guaranteed to have some fresh ones in a car heading up the main road of Blackwood looking for bad guys. The two of us wait on the side of the road. Then once the pigs have gone by, we give chase and overtake them on their left. Then we ride side by side in the middle of the lane in front of them, often doing 60 kilometres an hour or more. This tends to fuck them off a bit, so they usually hit the horn and put the blue and red lights on, which we dutifully ignore. Then they hit the siren with the short whoop-whoop noise, at which point we rapidly pull to the side and go up the footpath, coming to a stop. We do this fast so the piggies have to pull up ahead of us, not beside us, for reasons that will become obvious. It takes a few seconds for them to get out of the car, during which time Jono and I have turned the bikes around in the opposite direction. As soon as they're out, we both yell, get fucked, and take off like a shower of shit on the footpath. Because we've chucked a uterus, a U-turn for those uh, not familiar with the English language, as Jono likes to say, the cops have to do the same, except they've got to cross the road into oncoming traffic and fuck about doing a multi-point turn because the road is not quite wide enough to do it in one sweep. Poor piggies. Meanwhile, we've stopped only about 80 metres down the road, still on the footpath. The cops wring their car's neck, then spot us on the other side, standing next to our bikes. Then they have to heavily brake. If they chuck another uterus, we take off again, heading the same direction as before and repeat the exercise. Usually they don't, instead preferring to pull over on the side of the road and wind down the driver's window, presumably to inform us of our impending arrest and the various charges we'll be facing. That's when we wave our arms at them and vigorously with our middle fingers erect and shout stupid shit like, I smell bacon. Uh, then Jono goes one way and I go the other, staying on the footpath doing around 40k an hour. They can only chase one of us, but it doesn't really matter which one because there are a whole bunch of dirt bike paths nearby that a vehicle can't go down. Very clever, boys. The bike path network goes into bushland with 14 possible exit points, so our copper mates are a bit fucked. If I'm the one being chased, I like to pull up once I've entered the narrow bike path and give them a final finger. Not sure what Jono does, that's something I'll have to ask him. When we get back to Jono's house for the traditional game of pool via the bottle shop, of course, we relive the tales of our escapades like teenagers, even though we're both in our 50s. The one who came up with the best insult for the filth that day wins that round, and the other has to pay for the beer. We regularly sell the bikes and build replacements with different types of motors and shit, but all with the same purpose of either torturing those cyclist cunts or humiliating the local filth. That's our hobby, and we reckon it's not shit, but we'd love to know what you think, being a dead set legend and everything. Cheers, Dave and Jono. And there's a footnote to part two. Upon questioning, Jono had not thought of pulling over and giving the finger to the pigs, he is now solemnly committed to flashing them brown eyes in the future. I do not believe that his past action is a fair representation of who he is. Rather, he's just a vacant gun that didn't think of it. All right. Well, Dave and John, I think it's a terrific hobby. Uh, even more commendable that you continue to pursue it into your 50s, a time when many men can't seem to prevent themselves from forgetting what, forgetting what mad bastards they used to be as they slide down the path of least resistance to bitterness, anger and conservatism. We used to do something similar on our BMX bikes in Canberra, but we're teenagers. Uh, this makes your escapades all the more impressive. And uh, Dave did send me a pic of his motorised uh, pig evader, and I'll put it up on socials for you to see it. Uh, where I live now in Malabar, there's plenty of kids who could lay claim to being the next generation of Anthony Albanese's. 
living in public housing and being raised by only a mother. And they all, a lot of them own 50cc or 80cc motorbikes and they tear around the suburb a couple of times a week. And quite often, whilst I'm throwing the ball for the dog, good old Dickless Tracy will pull up demanding to know if I've seen kids on motorbikes. Usually I tell them I haven't. Sometimes I tell them that I've heard them and, and send them off in the wrong direction. And uh, Dave, let me know, when Jono gets around to chucking a brown eye at the cops, I'm a big fan of the brown eye. They must confess to not having thrown one for a few years now. I did my fair share in the past, obviously, often over overpasses at the police, bridges at rich people passing on boats or out the back of a bus window on a footy trip. Uh, Only a month ago, I was presented with a brown eye from one of Australia's most loved comedians, who, whilst a few years younger than me, really should know better. But it was terrific stuff. Uh, If you're going to be flaunting your rusty sheriff's badge into middle age, it might as well be in the direction of the filth. Good on you, boys. I want to make it very clear here, though. I I don't mind cops at all. I used to live with a cop in Bondi, and he was one of the most honest, decent, reliable, trustworthy drug dealers I've ever had. Dave has sent me another hobby, too. I'm starting to feel a bit like the girl who climbed Everest, someone else doing the heavy lifting for me. Uh, But this hobby is one that I've had some experience with, air rifles. I've been shot with an air rifle and shot other people with air rifles more times than I'd care to remember when mucking around with mates. But Dave, he uses his slug gun for the greater good to assist in dishing out some vigilante justice. I'll post a picture of his weapon of choice onto socials. Okay, here we go. Sean, slug guns. I've got an excellent slug slug gun, says Dave. The fucker will hit a five cent piece from 50 metres, probably due to its scope which was more expensive than the gun. Unlike Jono, though, whose slug gun is a piece of shit and couldn't hit a fucking barnyard door from 20 paces. He's got the sort of slug gun I remember chasing my little brother and his mates around the outside of our house, shooting them in the ass. If you did that with my slug gun, you'd blow half their ass off and require a really good explanation. Anyhow, my house overlooks a valley that's a natural reserve, apart from the fucking street light that turns on when it feels like it and fucks up my sleep patterns. I shot it recently with a ball bearing via a slingshot which blew a hole in its lens but the bastard has about 100 LEDs in it unlike the old halogen bulbs where one shot would take them out. My wife yelled at me about trying to destroy the street light after I shot it the first time mostly because the neighbour came out and said have you considered curtains? (laughs) As I'm standing there with an illegal slingshot in plain sight miserable old cunt she is I'm still working on solving that issue. Anyway, on the other side of the valley is a restaurant with a car park and a long section of road. Naturally, fuckwits coalesce there in droves, revving their cars and generally making cunts of themselves, admittedly, as I used to do. They then do burnouts and take off down the straight, presumably presumably doing time trials. At the end of the straight, there's a big rock face where the road turns and they chuck a uterus. I recently had had enough of these... Uh, Like the grumpy old fuck that I am, I complained of the filth repeatedly and they commenced an official police complaint and did fuck all. So I decided to take some citizen action. I bought a ghillie suit on eBay. For those that don't know, that's a sniper suit that makes the wearer blend in with the environment. I guess it's like camo. I then put it on and sat down the end of the straight bit of road where the fucking dickheads turn their stupid batshit cars around. Then I played the... Which car panel won't be fucked when you leave game? I pop a slug into the middle of each panel as the cars turn around. I'm careful not to take out lights or anything that's safety related. 
This is all about maximising the cost of panel restoration, not killing the dickheads. After all, that was me a few years before. These assholes love their cars, and I see my job is to fuck their cars up aesthetics-wise as much as possible. Because the stupid assholes have got rap playing at 120 decibels, they don't even hear the slugs hitting their vehicles. By the time they wheel spin their way back to the car park, their cars have already dropped $10,000 in value. Admittedly, I don't get an immediate rush of satisfaction where I'd watch their disappointment and anger about them being royally fucked, but I do enjoy the knowledge that in the near future they will emit some primal screams but not know how the travesty occurred. Their future pain is my gain. I love dirt bags. They taste like chicken. Yours, Dave. Well, Dave, I think you might be quite a sick man, um, <laughs> just as we all are. The long game is an important one, and anyone who pursues revenge would know that you have to be patient, so good on you for that. And quite the coincidence, actually, Dave. Listeners might recall last week that Mr. B requested I take a look at model train enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasts, which, much to my own displeasure, I, I dutifully did. Uh, but Mr. B got in touch again this week requesting that I look at restoring old cars, just the sort that you like to put ball bearings through, I'd imagine. Uh, I've had a few mates restore old cars, a bloke I went to school with spent $25,000 in the late 80s restoring an old Holden Tirana XU1. I've never shit myself more being in that car. Um, my sister's first boyfriend restored a Holden HQ in the, also in the late 80s. I reckon he spent a good two years doing it up, saving every penny. Uh, I remember this vehicle, though, for a few reasons. Firstly, because I was good mates with him, my sister's boyfriend, so I used to get around in it with him. Secondly... Because he parked it on our nature strip the day he'd finished restoring it and the entire family went out to pretend we gave a fuck and my old man, as is his want, immediately found an issue, identifying leaking brake fluid dripping down the wheel. You'll know it's brake fluid because if you dab it on your tongue, it'll, it has a sweet taste, my old man told the disappointed young vehicle owner. Uh, the sister's boyfriend dabbed his finger in it and licked it to test. What neither he nor my old man had seen was our legendary border collie Danny had relieved himself on the wheel prior to everyone coming out for a look. Magnificent. And thirdly, because after a couple of years and several thousand dollars being spent on restoring this HQ, within a week of finishing, it was written off in an accident and the poor bastard didn't have enough money left to insure it. Jesus, poor bastard. I don't really get cars. I mean, I own one and like it. I've even got a couple of mates who've restored old cars and drive them around really slowly on a Sunday. I can't think of a time when I've ever thought to myself, fuck it, I might go for a drive, unless I felt like ploughing into a tree. Something, thankfully, I never got around to doing. Uh, growing up in Canberra, we had the annual Summonats event, so I saw lots of restored cars and can pretty much assure you that car people are complete and utter fucking animals. <laughs> A week can make a big difference in your hobby, whether that be in politics or comedy. After opening for Luke Heggie to a good 1,300-odd people at the Enmore last Saturday, it was back to reality for me this past week. I remember after Heggie's gig, uh, the two beautiful daughters of Big Nuts saying how great it was that they'd uh, watched me because they'd never seen me perform before. And from now on, they wanted to come and watch whenever they could. And I remember me telling them that if that was the only time they ever saw me perform, it could very well be for the best. Take, for example, if they'd come to my gig at Penrith on Friday night. We got about four inches of rain on Friday. I drove the 77 kilometres to Penrith, expecting the gig to be a tough one, being outdoors and all. I didn't expect to get out of my car and receive a text from Mick Meredith saying the gig was off. 
Uh, we were assured that there was a wet weather contingency plan. It involved using one of those 3x3 three three awnings from Bunnings, which meant that everything was freezing and saturated. Also, that all the cables were underneath a foot of water. I'm no electrician, but I'd hazard a guess that could be quite dangerous. I made it nearly 74 of the 77 kilometres home when I received a call from my manager, Mark, saying that only they'd only sent those guys home and they still expected me to be there to perform. I felt a bit of a prick, but explained that if I was to turn around and drive back to Penrith, I wouldn't be arriving until after quarter to ten that night, by which time it would definitely be pissing down from a great height again. Uh, I did end up telling my manager I'd happily forego the pay if there was any problem. Anyways, it's obviously the fault of my new Mad Dog's podcast partner, Mikko. Uh, that was his screw-up. But all the girls could have come to Saturday night's gig in Batemans Bay, closer to home where they live in Canberra. Myself and mate Dave drove the four hours in awful conditions to be presented with the knowledge that there had been four pre-sales to our show. A show which was to be held in one of those massive function rooms in a huge club. I think the way those things work is that these pokey dens are required to spend a bit of money on entertainment every year, but don't really give a fuck, so they don't advertise much. Uh, didn't bother me, though, as the fee was guaranteed, and turns out we got 14 people, including listener Jay and his girlfriend, who I think her name was Sharita. Anyways, they were beauties, as were the other dozen, so we had a good night. Uh, all the girls could have watched the gig I did in Sydney on Sunday night from the comfort of home, in Canberra on TikTok and seen the abusive comments heaped on their dad's best mate. Don't worry, live at the factory theatre the gig killed, but according to some of the cowardly wastrels at home, I was a joke thief, untrue, a garden gnome, untrue but funny, fat, possibly true, unfunny, debatable, and a whole lot worse than that too. Among, of course, plenty of people who loved it. A week is a long time in hobbies and life. Okay, Mikko, the man who may owe me $500 quite soon after giving me a bum steer in Penrith. He and I have recorded our first episode of Mad Dogs. It's up right now on all of your main podcast apps. You just type in Mad Dogs and you'll look at the dog with sunglasses with Mikko and Woody written underneath it. Uh, I posted the trailer on Monday night and assuming that it's been accepted, which it has, it will be available to you right now on Wednesday, the whatever that date is today. Maybe the 24th, is it? 24th? 25th! And for your auditory pleasure, if you haven't heard it yet, here's the trailer. People do wild and crazy things. Lots of wild and crazy things. They always have and always will. These people are known as mad dogs. Each week, comedians, me, Sean Woodland, and him... Mick Meredith will investigate wild and crazy shit that humans get up to. From the bizarre to the disturbing. And the stupid to the courageous. Whether it be criminal, sporting, political. Business, celebrity or even Joe Public. The trials and tribulations of these mad dogs need to be heard. And more importantly, laughed at. Launching this Wednesday, 25th of May, 2022. Look for Mad Dogs wherever you get your podcasts. You can thank Miko for most of that. Good work. I think we'll have to re-record it uh, because my voice is a bit shit. But anyway, you get the drift. So do the right thing. Get on board with Mad Dogs. 
Episode 1 covers a mad dog from America who won the lotto not once but twice and still managed to end up blowing the lot. An achievement I could match quite easily. It's Victim of the Week. An upbeat Victim of the Week this week. A very good friend of mine, not one of the members of the fart group, uh, tried his hand at farting and, uh, as you'll see, was caught brown-handed. In that... And you did it all on your phone? And you did it all on your phone? They just farted on his phone! Oh, that is so good. Ah, victim. Caught. Rightio, I've got to go and have a lie down. Another couple of lemp sips so I can be full of beans to headline the Comedy Festival Showcase at Mittagong on Thursday night and Kyama on Friday night. Look after yourselves. Make sure you subscribe to Mad Dogs. It's going to be a cracker, that one. And at this stage of the game, I reckon there's a very good chance that there will be another episode of Your Hobby is Shit next week. Thanks for lending me your ears for another episode. All going well, I'll be back next week with current news and some harsh but fair critiques of more shit hobbies. You know where to find the podcast. Please subscribe to and share it. Or don't. I'll be okay. You can find Your Hobby is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback, suggestions and abuse are all greatly appreciated. And if you're, for example, the manufacturer of a great beer like, say, the Immortal Pale Ale and you're looking to sponsor an enlightening podcast, I'm open to offers. Thanks again. I'm Sean Woodland, the host, writer, producer, editor and complaints handler at Your Hobby is Shit. <laughs> oh, we thought Dave and John were immature, eh? <laughs>